Hey, it's Alan here. And Bree. And, and we, we are, are the, the hunter, hunter and, and the, the hippie. hippie. Connected through yoga and bonded by our love of the wild places and the love for outdoors, we've come together to share our conversations about life. Well, maybe more so what we've learned or are continuing to learn about life. And there's no one way to do it. Life, that is. And hopefully provide you with some teeny tiny bits of inspiration to connect deeper with yourself, others, and our great Mother Earth. All right, all right, enough already about the podcast. Let's just get to the podcast. So you're getting bad sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Did I just call you out? (laughs) Yeah, you did. Uh, so yeah, so no, I, uh, I'm dealing with a head cold as you'll hear throughout the episode. Uh, hopefully it's not the Rona, but yeah, no, I'm, uh, yeah, that's how that got brought up is I'm, uh, I got this whoop strap that Bree and I talked about uh, a few episodes ago and I've been hearing about, and I don't know how many days into it. I'm not even a full month into it yet, but I know my sleep sucks and, uh, yeah, the whoop strap is just confirming that. But uh, the key thing that I've uh, learned, because there was a night, that, there were a few nights that I got some really good sleep. Yeah. And uh, in the whoop strap, it gives you this recovery, you know, right? Like it gives you this recovery bar mm-hmm. of how much you're recovering. And uh, and I I recovered like 90 something percent one night. And my heart rate variability which uh, is the is the time in which your heart beats right so it's, well, it's not the, how many the variance within heartbeat so for example right. you'll if your resting heart rate was 60 beats per minute it doesn't mean that your heart is beating once every second it's 1. Right. 1.2 1.8 and so the more variability so the higher the variability the more that okay. your autonomic nervous system is functioning properly. So moving between parasympathetic and uh, sympathetic nervous systems. Um, If it's, there's not a variability, it means you could be, um, typically it means you're constantly in sympathetic. And so there's Mm -hmm. uh, fight or flight is basically taken over because you're, there's too much similarity between each beat, I guess would Mm -hmm. be a, kind of easy way to explain it yeah so uh so my heart rate variability shot up to like i don't even know i'm looking at my app right now but i'm still like trying to figure this thing out my heart rate variability shot up to like 79 Mm -hmm. uh and it was down in like i think like the high 30s or low 40s and that was after i recovered and then every day after that I got bad sleep and the heart rate variability went down. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was just really, uh, really interesting to see. I was like, oh, so while sleep, you know, is what helps you recover your muscles and things like that, right? Your heart is a muscle and right. Your heart needs recovery too. And that's essentially what it's showing, right? Is your heart is more efficient when you get rest. Hmm. And so, yeah, it was, it was interesting and intriguing to see that. And now, um, 
you know, in, in having this head cold, my, my resting heart rate went up. My resting heart rate is usually uh, in the mid fifties. Mm-hmm. Um, and my resting heart rate last night was 71, which is pretty high for me. Mm-hmm. Usually, usually like sitting at my desk, like through the day, I'm usually like 71, 80, 85 max. Mm-hmm. So all my, all my numbers are out of whack and it's cause, well, I'm not sleeping and because I, I'm dealing with all this garbage up in my head. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. They, one thing too, is that it, it, the whoop shrap gets better as it gets to know you. So it's like the recovery is, I would say, take it with a grain of salt until mm-hmm. you have like a month's worth and recovery also adjusts as you become more cardiovascular fit. So if you are training and you're getting cardiovascularly stronger or more fit, your recoveries might not necessarily get better. They'll Mm -hmm. remain the same because it's adjusting to your new norm. Um, Mm. But it's really neat in the whoop strap that you can log, you have a journal that you enter every morning about the previous day and you can enter if you are sick. And so they've actually been able, they've done a lot of research with those recordings and noticing any trends or tendencies that have occurred in conjunction with, uh, being ill. So, right. Yeah. And they, and, uh, I was recently reading an article. They've actually been able to predict the coronavirus, Mm -hmm. um, the onset of it. Um, there was what number? Oh, respiratory rate starts to change. Mm -hmm. And that's a big one because it measures the whoop strap measures your respiratory rate. And that is something that shouldn't change mm-hmm. right from day to day. So if it starts to change, um, they're actually showing a big correlation to those. Cause again, like you said, with the journaling people are putting in, Oh yeah, now, now I had coronavirus. Um, and now there's correlations from their respiratory rate increasing mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah, they're able to like show that data. So it's intriguing. And the other, so one thing too, is that these, the measurements they take with respiratory rate and same with heart rate variability and your recovery is all taken in sleep because there is no other, uh, there's no other factors that can play a role. So like throughout our day, our respiratory, our respiration rate is going to adjust is changing, right? I'm going to probably have a higher respiration rate when I'm running than when I'm meditating than when I'm working, um, or eating. And so they, depends on your job, but yes, (laughs) they have found, so they can get the most significant measurement by taking it for a heart rate variability. They take your last deep sleep. So, they will measure your heart rate. It's not your heart rate variability the entire night. It's in your last deep sleep because there is no other significant influences that will happen in deep sleep. Um, Interesting. mm -hmm. So it's like the most, their, their podcast actually, I listened to a lot on heart rate variability because I was, I, um, I was curious about parasympathetic saturation. And so, the one time that typically if your heart rate variability goes up and your resting heart rate, your resting heart rate will go down. Those are pretty Mm. in tune. So as your heart rate variability goes down, your resting 
heart rate increases, increases that's when you're under strain, you're going to have poor recovery or you Got had it. poor recovery. However, when people tapered, so say you're training for a race or competition, they notice people who had a good training cycle and tapered, they went into parasympathetic saturation, which meant their heart rate variability went down and their resting heart rate went down. And that huh. means not that they're constantly in fight or flight mode, but they're constantly in rest and digest. So they've been able to, yeah. and that's what I'm trying to uncover personally with my whoop trap is I mm -hmm. don't mind, don't always correlate. And so I look mm. at, is there days that I like, it's a heavy meditation day or it's a very, sometimes my heart rate variability, variability is higher because I actually strained, right? Oh, interesting. So I put myself into a place where it had to manage that. Whereas I have times mm. where I'm, it's just like a work day and I don't get out for a run. I don't, I don't have these intense, um, outputs on my body and yeah. I've met it, you know, done yoga nidra. I've been super chill and my recovery is actually poor because based on my, like not super poor, but like my heart rate variability goes down, mm -hmm. but I actually think it's because I'm not, there's no sympathetic that's causing it to need to regulate. So I, mm. it's really important to look at all factors, like the amount of sleep you get, what kind of sleep you get, sleep. if yep. you go through all phases and how much of all those phases. Yeah. And then also heart rate variability with resting heart rate. Huh. Interesting. So, so you can't ever yeah, just um, take one number. I mean, that's life. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Right. I wonder what other areas people look at just one side of oh, something. headlines. <laughs> Did we talk about this recently? <laughs> oh gosh, everything, everything. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's so. That's my intent with this is to like figure out my recovery and just be more of a badass scientifically, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, I do so much throughout throughout the week, throughout the month, and that that's why I've been thinking about it. And then you talking, talking to me about it. I was like, all right, maybe I should do it. Yeah. I can't, I got super obsessive with the numbers and then uh -huh. after a little while, it kind of like chills out, but it does, yeah. it does affect when I have the ability, uh, the capacity to change what I'm going to do that day. I do based on my recovery. And so there mm. Sometimes it just, I know I have a lot of computer work to do and I'm not going to be able to get out for a long run. So there's days yeah. where like I, I blow it on a high recovery day, but it's definitely Got a it. sign of like, okay, I'm 70% recovered. Like I should, no matter how I feel, I should go out for a long run, you know, or, mm. um, or if I had a really crappy recovery, it might mean I'm doing yoga that day instead of going for a run or a skin, an uphill skin, you know? Um, yep. so it is cool in that being able to pull from your arsenal, what, like, these are my poor recovery day workouts. These are my, you know, this is what I'm going to plug in maybe on a different day because. Have you had this? We haven't even breathed yet, by the way. Um, have you, have you had this for any like real training as far as like, race training? Yeah. Not yet. I, I will wanna, be. I want to hear about that because. Mm -hmm. 
that that's going to be interesting because when you're on a schedule to train, like when I was training for, um, like I, I started to train for a half Ironman. I never did one, but like when I was training for an Olympic distance, you get workouts and you go do them and you're working out seven days, six days a week, Mm -hmm. pretty freaking hard. I mean, I was, I was swimming and biking and running, you know, uh, some combination of those, you know, every other day, right? Like, I mean, and like to train for a half Ironman and an Ironman, those, I mean, you're doing, you're doing two hour bike rides, jumping off your bike and then going for an hour run. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wonder how like the, how the numbers start to look and I'll be intrigued as you start preparing if you're going to do any races this season. Yeah, there's a lot of research. A lot of the research has been done with triathletes and Ironman because of, um, and they've, and I won't say this perfectly. There's a whole podcast about it, uh, episode on the Whoop, Whoops podcast, but they do talk about that, um, that recovery training has actually been more uh, effective than like just straight up non-tailored, um, shoot, I can't even think of the word right now. <sighs> like phase training, like, um, oh no, <laughs> goldfish brain. <laughs> but basically phase trainings where you go through like certain, uh, phases of your training that are just yep. generic. Um, yep. and then you like stick to it no matter what they've found right. that actually altering it to your specific recovery. Interesting. And so that's why it's saying yeah. like, okay, yes, yeah, so you have something that you need for the week, but maybe there's going to be a day if you had poor recovery, you're not getting gains at that point. Like there's a certain point gaining, you get gains based on breaking down, but the real mm. gains come from allowing yourself to recover. Right. So if you just keep breaking yeah. muscles down, they're, they're going There'll be nothing left to break down. Exactly. So that's why, right. like, if you're doing a strength workout, there needs to be moments to let the muscles repair. That's how they get stronger. It's from being yep. torn apart and healing, yep. like joining back together, back together. Right. And so the same thing is going to happen with your cardiovascular fitness. If you never give yourself the time to regenerate your joy, that's where oh, there's so much overtraining that happens, especially in endurance sports. Yep. And Last summer, I didn't have a good enough base and I attribute, I got super burnt out towards then. I was still doing these big runs in the mountains that were four to shit, like 10 hours sometimes. Wow. And I never felt my best. And I think part of it is because I didn't have the base and I wasn't, so I'd kind of get crushed after a long day. And then take a few days off, but never established, like never had that in between that was allowing me to rebuild my fitness. Um, so that's, that's crazy. This year, that might be like, why I, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say that might be why I stopped Ironman training because I was, I was burnt out, like going mm-hmm. on a run. I was like, ugh, like, no, yeah, I'm so over this and. And yeah, and I was sticking to one of those like phased approach workouts. It was very much like, like it was, it was tracking your heartbeat, but it's like stay in zone two for this long, Mm -hmm. right? Like go run, but only right. Like it's not about speed. It's about like managing your heart rate. Mm -hmm. 
you know, stay in zone two for two hours. Go. And by the way, everyone, yes, she said 10 hours of running. That wasn't oh. a faux pas. Like, Hike, uh, to those listening at home. Running, hiking. <laughs> she, she said 10 hours. That is a real number. Uh, and that, that, I mean, and, and I'm not discounting Brie at all, but there are, like, that's low for some people. Like, I mean, people go out there, run for, uh, I mean, you have people like Courtney DeWalter. Again, she's like the, she's a bad example because she's just crushing An outlier. But yeah, but she, I mean, what, she ran for... How long was it? Two was it days like, and I can't remember. She was, um, it was a Moab 250. So she ran 250 miles and you can imagine that it was like, I think it was a little over two days of running. Yeah. Um, and I think she slept for like six minutes. Total. Yeah. It was something crazy. Mm-hmm. Like she would literally go, they would, she would fall, she would fall asleep in her van, that her support van. And, uh, and then she would, like literally wake up with a minute and a half of sleep and then go run again mm-hmm. uh, during that race. But yeah, 10 hours of running. Don't discount it. Don't try to call it hiking. You're still fucking running. <laughs> you're not really that. That's why I, <laughs> that's why I like ultra mountain run is because you're not running the whole time. Like you're hiking when you need to hike. You, yeah. I was when I, before I got into ultra running, like I had done a, a road marathon and why I hate road running is because I never felt like I could stop. Like I felt or walk. Like I, I actually, when I ran my marathon, I always, I never, I walked through the, to get the water through the aid station, but I never stopped. And right after I drank that, I was running and you walked, I I was splashing of like trying to drink it and it's like going everywhere. Well, I walked when I had to grab the actual water. It Uh, was like, walk up, walk away. (laughs) pound it and go. Um, but it wasn't until I started doing the longer distances on trails where I realized, like I actually learned how to be able to stop and then start going. Cause in the road marathon, it was like, if I stop, I'm not going to be able to start going. Everything's going to set in and I'm not going to be able to go again. And so it's very much like learning that. Yeah. You might stop for a couple minutes. You're eating like I'm eating pancakes you know, (laughs) changing your socks, changing your shoes. Sometimes I know. Yeah. So you have to be able to like stop completely and then start going again. So it's, I mean, it really is a mental at a certain mileage. It's, it's far more mental than it is physical. You, uh, you've heard of David Goggins. Yeah. Yeah. He's a badass. (laughs) God, he's fucking crazy. Yeah. I actually have his book and I haven't read it. You haven't read it? No, oh I have so many books. I was gifted okay. like five books at the same time, but I had a whole library of books that I already, I've heard like his podcast and my friend just borrowed the book that was gifted to me. And she was like, it was really good. It was repetitive of all the podcasts I've heard him talk on. Just yes. reminded me of things I, I forgot. Just gonna, I was just going to say that as you read through it. So, so the book is, uh, is it can't hurt me. Mm-mm. Uh, and is David Goggins. He's a former U.S. Navy SEAL. Uh, but yeah, the book is very, so if, for those of you that know him, right, like everyone knows his story, mm-hmm. right? Cause it's the same thing. It's consistency. And I was thinking about this the other day and I'll, I'll talk about consistency here in a moment, but uh, it, it is it very much like you read it 
and you're like, oh yeah, I know, I know what's going to happen next. Or oh, I know, I know about that race. Oh, I know about his first 24 hour race. And, uh, but it gives you a little more depth, right? Cause it's a book mm-hmm. and, and it can go on. Um, and it's funny as hell. Like you just like the way he, he articulates things, the way he articulates things in video is is great too. And podcasts is, is great, but, uh, it's, it's super funny. And if you, so how I got, uh, how I, how I found out about him was actually through another book, uh, living with a seal mm. by Jesse Itzler. And have you read that? I one? haven't. Okay. Go to that one first. Okay. Cause, cause that doesn't tell you, like, I didn't know about Goggins until I read this. Yeah. And, uh, and it's this, this guy, he's, he, he was a, oh, so it's funny. He's, he's a white rapper in the eighties and nineties. So like when rap music and like hip hop was coming out in New York city and he has all sorts of hilarious stories. His story is, his story is freaking funny as hell too. And, uh, and he's all about like challenging himself. So he wanted to have a Navy SEAL come live with him for 30 days mm-hmm. and like just get him into shape and it ended up being Goggins. Ah. <laughs> and so Goggins comes and lives with him in his, in his like upper West side, New York city lofts, like apartment, uh, and just crushes him in the middle of winter for 30 days. Like, uh, there's, there's one story where he, he, he's sleeping in his bed next to his wife and like Goggins sneaks into the room and he like, and he's like staring at him. And he like, he like wakes up and he's like, let's go run motherfucker. <laughs> and it's like two thirty in the morning. And so, uh, I listened to the book. So you get to Jesse, he, he reads his own book and, uh, I, this book is hilarious. I was on a plane listening to it one day and, uh, everyone thought I was probably loony because I'm literally like in tears laughing, crying because of the way Goggins is mm-hmm. and the way he treated this guy. And he's just like, like, yeah, he woke him up at like two 30 in the morning, made him run central park. And like, I don't know if you remember back in that huge blizzard that New York got where like New York city shut down. What year? <laughs> what year? Um, I, I forget the year. Okay. I want to say like 20, maybe 2015. Okay. I don't know. But like New York city got hammered mm-hmm. and they had to, and like the whole city was shut down and that it was during that. And he's like, we're going to run. And, uh, and he made him run through Central Park like six miles at like two thirty in the morning <laughs> through this blizzard, and apparently Goggins was only wearing shorts and a t-shirt, and Jesse was like covered up like you know, like like any normal normal quote normal person would be uh, going for a run in that in that temperature. But I digress. Yeah, Goggins, he's he's a badass. He's something else for sure. Yeah. The beast, for sure. All right, we're going to breathe. All right, let's Thir- do it. 32 minutes what's in. Your respi- 32 what's mi- your respiration rate right now? Right. We're going to slow it down. We're going to breathe, breathe and journal prompt. We're going to breathe and measure <laughs> your respiration rate. <laughs> All right. So closing your eyes or finding a soft gaze. And then first begin by bringing some awareness to your seat and feeling the connection points to the earth, feeling the support, 
might even imagine some roots burrowing into the earth to allow yourself to feel a little more grounded, stable. And bring awareness to the length of your spine. And also traveling all the way up through the crown of your head. So tip of your tailbone through the crown of your head. And as you breathe in, imagine a golden light filling up from the tip of your tailbone through the crown of your head. And as you exhale, imagine this light beginning to shine out of your body. Feel this radiance filling up tailbone to head. And feel it brightening as you exhale everything around you. And imagining or sensing this filling up and this expansion. Every exhale, this light expands even further, even brighter. Until it fills every corner of the room. And feel this light connecting to every person in your life. every person you come across. And allow this radiance to shine from within for the rest of your day, week, When you feel ready, you can gently flutter your eyes open. And coming back to our podcast. Awesome. Thank you. I feel like that's the first time I've been able to breathe through my nose in a couple days. Yeah. <laughs> Which nostril? Both? Both. Yeah, surprisingly both. Nice. That is uh, the beauty of... What's really cool about breathing, right? We, we actually switch between nostrils. It's like a 90 minute cycle. It's off because we're never always balanced, but it, it actually kind of correlates with what part of your brain you're using. So we shift between right brain dominant and left brain dominant throughout our days. Huh. And you can tell where you are by which nostril is flowing more clearly. So is it like opposite how mm-hmm. they say left brain is right hand and so on? And so would it be left brain is right nostril? Yes. 
Huh. Pretty cool. Yeah. I didn't know that. I kind of was like, well, I broke my nose. It's pretty crooked. <laughs> I don't breathe well. And Do you have a deviated septum? Or? Yeah. And yeah. I was like, I think I just, I am always, what was it? Shoot. I was like, I think I'm always like right nostril just because it's more clear of a path. And then one night I was lying there and yeah. I was like, oh, left nostril. It's very clear right now. And I was like, ah, oh, it's not. <laughs> it's, it is. A, but we have imbalance, right? So we don't really cycle. We typically, most people don't cycle every 90 minutes between each, but you can kind of bring awareness to that. And, um, you really notice it when you're sick though, mm-hmm. is because when you're sick, so like right now, both my nostrils are, are there. I'm congested, mm-hmm. but I'm not fully congested. Um, but uh, when this first started, it was my right nostril, and uh, but if I, it's so weird, and and I always think this, and I never get to ask anyone, so I'm getting to ask you now, and I'm putting it out there in the world. So either everyone's gonna think I'm a fucking weirdo. <laughs> well, I mean, we already know that, but everyone's gonna think I'm a weirdo, or or I'm actually gonna confirm something is true. So like. Uh, if my right nostril is clogged and I'm laying down, if I lay to my left, it'll unclog. Yeah. If I lay to my, yeah. Yes. That. Yeah. And then, and like it'll unclog and it won't go to the left. It'll just unclog. And like, I'll try to stay there and I'm like, don't move, don't move, don't move. Like, this is so nice being able to breathe. And then if I roll over even the center, it starts to clog back up. Mm. And the longer I'm in a clogged state, the longer it takes to unclogged to roll back over mm-hmm. so i thought like i'm just a weirdo but clearly you're you're saying that that's that's the I, truth i think so I, I in my last training with the Amrit institute they talked about just the benefits of lying on the right side versus the left side and they did bring up rolling to your right side clears your left it does clear your left nostril or, or like also so it clears kind of the left side um of the body so huh yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Or like maybe it like yeah. activate, it might be like activating the left nostril, which ultimately will like bring attention to it, clear it. Mm-hmm. Huh. Pretty wild. Yeah. You're not crazy. Yeah. Just like the yogis yeah. aren't crazy. <laughs> I, I, I don't, I don't, I think I'm still crazy, but just it's that one thing that I'm not crazy about. Yes. <laughs> that everyone's crazy together. in. You're right. Yeah. So, uh, so how is this so, illness messing with the fitness routine or is it not? What is that? How does that, how oh, does that totally, affect your movement? What do you, how do you adjust when you're sick to, it totally does. I, I heard a saying and I've been trying to think of the saying and maybe you can help me with it, but I heard a saying when you're sick, if you see, and I can't remember and I'm just going to tell you a story. I'm going to sound like a bumbling idiot, but like, there was something about like, if you're sick, you move, but if you're, Oh, fever. Yeah. If you have a fever, you don't move. Right. There's some, there's some saying about like, Mm. if you're sick, but you don't have a fever, I think that's what it is. Then you don't, then you, then you continue with your exercise. And, but if you're sick and you have a fever, don't Mm -hmm. continue to exercise. I don't have a fever right now. Yeah. That would make sense because the fever is trying to get rid of swelling Right. Um, and typically in the brain, like in the brain. Um, and so I think you would movement would not help with that swelling, yeah. but God, movement could clear of a fever. 
movement could clear other things out. Like it, if you think if you're congested, right. And you let mm-hmm. everything collect, but you don't get rid of it. It's like why you don't swallow yep. your phlegm is because you're not getting rid of it. Something's collecting needs to go right. out. Yep. And so movement helps move whatever's collecting out yeah. of your body. Yep. Yeah. So, um, so this one's impacting me because I, I have a trip planned. I'm going to Arizona. So my mother, my mother had COVID and she was in the hospital for three, four weeks. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And it wasn't looking great. Um, but my mother is a badass. She's a fighter. Shout out to Cheryl Tatone. Um, she, she hammered through, she got through it and, uh, she had pneumonia really bad and, uh, yeah, she's home now. I, I believe she's still on oxygen. Um, but I told her, I was like, Hey, it was like, you know, sort of like incentive to, to ho- hopefully help make her fight was, uh, Hey, you know, I, I live 12 hour drive and I usually like to drive to Phoenix. Um, I was like, Hey, the, the weekend, this was like week one or week two of her in the hospital. And I was like, Hey, the weekend you, you feel better the next weekend you feel better on, in your home. I'll come visit. I don't care what weekend it is. Like, I'll come visit. And, uh, and I had already had this trip planned to Phoenix. Mm. Um, and I'll get into why I'm talking about this trip also, but, uh, I had this trip planned and I was figured, all right, I'll, I'll go. This was back at the last week of February. I was thinking, all right, I'll probably end up in Phoenix last week of February to see my mother. And then I'll come back again this, this coming week in March. Uh, so I'll get to see her twice. And end up, she ended up being in the hospital for four weeks and that totally blew my plan. And then I'm like, shit, well, there's no fucking way I'm going to Phoenix making a 12 hour, 24 hour drive, essentially. Right. That's one way, right? 12 hours there and back. Uh, <clears throat> there's no way I'm doing it two weekends in a row. So I pushed it. So I... I'm going to Phoenix for a jiu-jitsu camp with the Brazilian jiu-jitsu globetrotters. And uh, it's a four-day camp of just doing jiu-jitsu. And yeah, it's, so I'm really excited about that. Um, so I, Jessica has family there, my wife. And I was like, let's just turn this into a trip. Like, we'll both go. We'll take the dogs. Her mother lives in California. Let's see if we can get her mother to come out and visit because her sister lives there so usually phoenix is a good meeting point so lo and behold uh here we are and i'm like and i've been so cautious too i'm like not not like i mean i'm never really like i don't do much anyway like i do jujitsu and it's not much indoors that i do anymore like most of the stuff is outdoors or uh i don't go to a gym because i have a home gym and so it really hasn't been a concern like coronavirus and, and, and I'm not going to get too deep into coronavirus, right? Cause I'm not going to share my beliefs on that. But to me it has, I'm not worried about it. Like I have an immune system that's going to do its job if I get it. Mm-hmm. And I, my thought is I'm more likely to die by a bear. And, uh, from my story from last episode that there's proof, right? That like, <laughs> I am more likely going to get mauled by a bear than die from a, a virus. Um, that being said, here we are and I'm sick. And so there's a few reasons I don't think I have the coronavirus, actually multiple reasons. Cause, uh, I, again, I haven't done shit, so I haven't been exposed to anyone. 
Uh, but uh, I still smell and taste perfect. Like literally, I went to the store to go get some orange juice and walked by the essential oils and smelt them all. And I was like, yep. I was like, I'm fine. My, my taste is fine. I don't have a fever. Uh, literally, it's just all in the head. There's nothing in the lungs. So before this, I told you, Bri, I went to go get a test to see if I get a rapid test. But that didn't happen. Uh, so yeah, so I'm going to Phoenix. Going to see my mother. And I'm going to a jiu-jitsu camp. So my exercise routine has been somewhat impacted because I'm all about recovery. This damn whoop strap has gotten into my head. And seeing that I'm not recovering, especially like not doing anything, uh, I'm like, shit, I just need to recover. And uh, I called my doctor. I made him give me, I was like, give me everything. Like, I don't care. Like, I don't care what it is. I will take everything. Normally, like, I'll just let let it run through, see what happens. But he gave me steroids. He gave me antibiotics. I haven't started the antibiotics yet because I don't think I need them. I don't think it's bacterial. But he was like, you know your body. He's like, take them if you need them. He's like, just finish the whole round if you start taking them. But the steroids, I was like, I'm taking those because that will actually, that it's an, it's an anti-inflammatory and that'll help with just managing symptoms. And uh, so I started taking those and uh, yeah, I'm telling you all this because like I'm not doing shit. I'm just trying to recover. I'm just trying to like get this thing. Uh, it's funny. I woke up and like I had that drip in the back of my throat and I was like, I have no fucking time for this. And I'm just like yelling at myself. I was like, you're going to get better. Like this is not happening but it's not happening a, a week later it's your body's way of telling that you're doing like there's a it's saying something right mm-hmm. it's if you won't 100%. if you won't do it yourself your body will make 100%. you do it for you right absolutely 100 i totally agree and I, <laughs> in every other scenario i'd be like oh yeah i need to slow down i need to stop being stressed and and it, my wife even said to me you know why you're sick right and she's like and she's like you're stressed mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, no, yeah. I was like, I'm not gonna argue that. And in any other scenario, I'd be like, all right, you know, I'd take, I'd take some days off work and nope, I've been working. Yeah. Like I'm not, and I'm like, it's one of those scenarios. I remember stories of people sharing like, no, oh, like I actually at Landmark, this one lady shared her story about her. And this is way different than her, her breast cancer journey. And she like put a time limit on it. She was like, I don't have time for this. She's like, I'm giving you, I'm giving it six months. And, and right to me, like, I'm also a big believer in like the power of will. I think power, like mental fortitude is, is huge as we talked about with like endurance racing and things like that. Um, I don't know how it comes into science and (laughs) breast cancer recovery. And, but I do think that your attitude plays a huge portion in it. And, uh, so I remembered that story that she said, oh, she gave herself six months to recover from the operation. Um, and I think she ended up going through some chemo and she was like, that's it. And, and lo and behold, right, the cancer was gone. She was clean and free, free. And then she made it the five years and never had an issue again. So I woke up that morning and I thought of that story and I was like, nope. I was like, you are not allowed to be sick, Alan. You have three days to get over this because I'm leaving. That's when I'm leaving. I'm like, you're allowed to be sick for three days. That's it. Mm-hmm. And, but yeah, normally I would agree, Brie, that well, yes, I should let my body recover. And I, I mean, I would say more of like, I would, the way that I say me, like the mental component is mm-hmm. stress. And so it's not necessarily, I'm going to take a break, but where, how can I minimize my stress? So for some people mm-hmm. that means taking a break from work. That means not working your body, but 
sometimes yep. I think when we get so absorbed in trying to get rid of something, are we creating more stress as a result versus like, Probably. let me just let go and be with whatever crap is yeah. coming up because I yeah. say 80 per- 80% of doctor's visits are stress-based. Hmm, interesting. 80%. That's crazy. Um, because stress is the science right? Is the physiological, the, the chemicals and hormones that are released when we are under yep. stress. And so yep. that is the significance of good sleep is that you are giving your body time to release the chemicals and hormones that balance out the stress hormones. Yep. So, but then last night I go to bed at nine o'clock and I'm like, I didn't set an alarm. I was like, I'm gonna, nice. I'm sleep, I'm sleeping till nine. Like I'm going twelve hours in this bad boy. Fucking four thirty comes around, <laughs> bing, wide awake. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. I'm like this is stupid. <laughs> and I was like, how am I supposed to sleep if I can't sleep? Like that's that's the issue. Is I can't sleep. Like I, it's like I wake up and then I'm up and then I'm like, okay, I'm not just gonna lay here because I'm not gonna go back to sleep. So then what do you do? Well, that's why we talked about in a few episodes ago. It's not, you have, how do you get ready for, how do you get better at jujitsu? Going to jujitsu. You train, Yeah. right? So, I'm not yeah, going to run a marathon yeah. tomorrow when I haven't yeah. been training. So how do you, you can train your sleep. It's not going to happen just because I say I will it. I'm going to go to bed at nine and wake up at nine. Maybe you will because you're, you are so sick that your body has no other option but to rest. But more than likely, if you're someone who hasn't, doesn't sleep, who usually sleeps five hours, why would you magically sleep 12 hours? Because you said you want to. Right. So you're telling me I need to come to your Nidra class. Nidra class. I'm saying you need to train your sleeping. And Nidra is a great way, but uh, but it really is like, yeah, it's in. Yep. And the Nidra slows down the breakdown of melatonin. So we have two, comp- melatonin plays two roles. And I don't know if I said this before because I talk about it a lot, but melatonin, the release of melatonin helps you fall asleep, but then it mm-hmm. metabolizes while you're sleeping. And it like basically is gone by the time you wake up. So mm-hmm. what Nidra does is it slows down, not only does it release melatonin, so it helps you fall asleep, but it slows down the breakdown. So you have melatonin oh. in your system for longer. And that's why you're actually able to get like a better sleep, um, Got because it. of the practice, huh. but it's training. I mean, it's, that's all it is. Yeah. And so well, I need to work on training my sleep. Then. Yeah. I mean, it's just, so. It's what works and everyone's different. You know, um, the amount of sleep you need as you get older is actually less. So like, that's why kids need more sleep and like babies versus infants versus children versus teenagers. The amount of sleep is gets less Mm -hmm. and less as we get older, but then there's things as we get older, older, where we almost need to get more of that sleep to allow our body to help prevent certain things like dementia, Alzheimer's, um, different things that have to do with our brain. Anti-aging happens when we sleep, human growth hormones release. There's just so much that occurs that like once we get older to help us feel better as we're older, it's almost like we have to go back to like, okay, let's Mm -hmm. start expanding that sleep window. Yep. 
like in your prime, yeah, five hours might be good, but right. you're getting old. I think you just had a birthday. Oh, thanks. <laughs> no, I'm just thanks. kidding. Don't remind me. <laughs> uh, it, it's so funny because it reminds me of, of bow hunting. So, and this is sort of off topic, but I guess that's how we roll. Um, when it comes to sleep, like when you go bow hunting, uh, it's, it's wild. Cause you, you have to be awake during all hours that there's light mm-hmm. and like w- during all hours that there's light or I, I don't want to say, I shouldn't say that because during like at high noon, you're taking a nap usually. Uh, but, uh, like you need to be awake at sunrise and sunset mm-hmm. and like you're usually somewhere off in the distance and like having already hiked too. Like, so not just yes. like you wake up at that hour, you've already hiked, yeah. get no, you've to where, been moving. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You've been moving multiple miles in the dark mm-hmm. to get to where you want to hunt when the sun comes up and then you're just at it all day. And then you take this little short, little cat nap, but you get back to camp again, right? Like you're, you're hunting until sun goes down. Yeah. I think this is September when, when the days are still pretty long, um, sun goes down. So let's, yeah. So it's more than, it's definitely more than 12 hours, 14, probably even more than that. Until the 20s, cause you're 20, 21st or 22nd is equinox. So that's equal is, days, equal hours, light and day. Okay. So beginning so yeah, of so September is long. Yeah. Much longer days. So yeah, so you're starting, I mean, you're, you're going for a while and then you get back to your tent and you need to eat, mm-hmm. right? So you sit there, you eat, if you're with your buddies, right, like you bullshit a little bit and then you like go to sleep and as you're right, you go to sleep, like right as you go to sleep, your alarm's going off again mm-hmm. to get you up because again, like you have to move at night. So you get up and then you go move again and, and it's just like this vicious cycle. And so I'm just thinking about like, we're talking about shitty sleep and, and it made me think of bow hunting. Cause God, like that's the one thing I crave when we're bow hunting is sleep. Mm-hmm. Cause you don't get any, cause you're just like, like you just strain, strain, strain. You sleep for this yeah, tiny bit of time. You're burning more, way more calories than you could ever consume if you're backpacking. Mm-hmm. And then you're back at it again the next day. And, yeah, it's just this. But how does that affect your perform? Like that would be my question: is like, how does that affect your shot? Like, how do how does that affect yeah. your ability to like? Would it be beneficial to do a week on of that and then take a rest day and then do a week on, or yeah, possibly. You know, I. Well, the one and only shot I took, I missed. So, so there's your answer. Smarter, uh, not harder. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah, the, the, yeah, no, you're probably right. And, and honestly, like after we did 10 days last season, 10 days in the back country mm-hmm. and that was rough. Like all three of us at, at the end were like, this is stupid. <laughs> like we're so over it. And, uh, but coming into next season, there's no way I'm doing 10 days again. Cause they, there was a study that they did with military, um, that they measured their effectiveness and I don't know how they did it exactly. Um, after losing one night's sleep and then after two nights sleep, two nights in a row of no sleep. Um, and these are, 
The other thing to consider is these are people, as you know, are trained to be able to function on a a lack of sleep. So it's one thing if you're just like an ordinary person who's not getting sleep, it's going to affect you a lot more than a person who has been trained to function at a certain level with sleep deprivation. But they still found, I think it was like, um, a 30% decrease in skills after one night's of sleep and 60% after losing two nights in a row of no sleep. That's why. So decision-making like that has everything, physical ability, like all of that plays a factor mentally. Um, and so that's where it's, I mean, I think about ice climbing days and like I now had a whoop strap for like the beginning of January. I had like four bigger days over and within a week period and like saw my recovery. And it was that like, we got up, we were out until, you know, some days it was a, I think I had one 12 hour day. Um, and not a lot of sleep and you know like can i do it yes am i gonna be my best no but it's also that's where you get into these okay i'm in a building phase and so right you know it's interesting too with like food because you said like cal you burn a lot more calories than you consume Mm -hmm. and that's actually changed a lot of why i kind of went into this 16 and 8 intermittent fasting that i've been doing um and that changes, but is because I realized I go climb in the cold. So my body's trying to stay warm. I'm lugging a backpack. Yep. The South fork is super steep. Um, and I'll eat like a egg sandwich and then I'll have one granola bar the entire day. That's why, you know, and it was like, whoa, our bodies. And so that's even with the sleep, like our bodies are really capable of a lot more than we give it credit for. We don't ever test it, but then it's like, that's where I think it's like, okay, you're not going to do that for a month. You're not going to go off of no sleep bow hunting for a month and expect to get results. Like there's those, that's what's important of seeing like, okay, I have to show up this way for this period because maybe that's all I get off of work or, yep. We're, we're really going in deep into the wilderness, yep. but is it sustainable? I, and are you going to perform the I, I don't know. The best? And I, I, I do think it is. I, I think, I think that you can train yourself to, right? Like, I still think you need to recover. I think you need to sleep. I think that's important. And I'm seeing that now, but I think you can absolutely train yourself to, and you know, there's, there's proof of it out there. And, and although they may be the exception, I think they're they're exhibiting it, right? You're Courtney DeWalters of the world. You're David Goggins. You're Cameron Haynes, like these these endurance folks that just go out there and they're they're trained for it. And maybe they don't have the best recovery. But they're maybe not they doing do, a week straight. I mean, I guess with like like if they're running the Colorado Trail, that's going to be multi day. They're sleep. They are sleeping during and that. Bow hunt, like and like the bow hunting, like they're out there. Like Cameron Haynes is out there for. 10, 15 days at a time, mm-hmm. you know, but, but he's, yeah, I don't know. I think that, yeah, you, there's, there has to be, there's science to it, right? There clearly is. Mm-hmm. And there's outliers. So I think it's, yeah. But then how do you, how do you, how do you become an outlier? How do you know if you're an outlier until you push yourself? 
No, I think you, I'm not saying don't push yourself, but I'm also asking, are you being your best? Right. Or can you again, train or perform or whatever it might be smarter Mm -hmm. versus harder? Yeah. And so maybe you don't need Uh, the 15 days if you actually are training smarter. I'll tell you what, I'd love to just shoot an elk on the first day and just be fucking (laughs) That loses all the fun! (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, because there's also uh, like a level of like if you're not doing it. And so then, yeah, you can practice all you want leading up to elk season. You can train all you want, but until you're actually doing it, like that's how I felt with ice climbing season until I actually just started getting out there and breaking my body yep. down ice climbing. I can hang on my tools. I can walk uphill with a backpack, but yep. I'm going to get in my best ice climbing shape fitness ice by climbing. ice climbing. Yeah. It's the same with elk hunting because you can hike all you want when you're hunting, you're not hiking on a trail. Hmm. And when you're not hiking on a trail, it is a way different game. Well, in the like mental, are, like that's where I think there's yep. a similarity too is is in climbing in general, mm-hmm. you now all of a sudden you are physically, that's where I think the sleep component is actually significant for these kinds of ade- ade- endeavors that aren't mm-hmm. just, so running, you don't need a lot of mental focus. You have mental resilience, yep. but you don't need as much mental uh, focus or Mm-hmm. Would it, acuity be the right word? I don't know. Possibly. Yeah. Um, yeah I, I think I know what you're saying. Like you're saying that like to be able to shoot skill, a bow, right? To like shoot like to, a to good shoot, shot. To, yeah. To shoot a bow and a good shot at 40 yards when you're fucking exhausted versus you're exhausted. And all you have to do is move your feet one foot in front of the other. Mm-hmm. So like, I, th- I, I understand what you're saying. It's, it's not, and I'm not saying that it doesn't take resilience mm-hmm. to run for 240 miles or however no, I'm many saying there's resilience, but the mind, yeah. the mind, yeah. it, it's working differently. Like ice climbing, you have yeah. to make decisions. You have to be totally tired and yep. still make good decisions. Right. And you have and to do that thing. running, but it's just, it's just very, it's not as mentally focused taxing as yeah. something I would imagine, you know, what I would imagine with bow hunting Right. Like managing the environment too, like being hyper, you're hyper aware, hyper aware mm-hmm. of everything. Oh, did something just move? Mm-hmm. Instant stillness. Like, I mean, you're, you're aware of every little thing going on. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's look, ultra and, running where you have to make, I mean, like I've put together ridges where like I have to be, I'm doing some scrambling. So I have to be mentally like on par. Um, yeah. and then again, I'm not taking anything away from Courtney, like her, mental capacity and physical capacity and resilience is, is beyond. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. but it, I, I've just personally found, um, yeah, that like sharpness, that's, I guess the best way to the mental sharpness isn't as important when you're just running for 24 hours as it is. If you're trying to climb for 24 hours or bow hunt for 24 hours. She's the, Courtney is the, the epitome of the exception. Mm-hmm. Like she, cause she's, she beats all, all the men, like destroys them. Mm-hmm. Like no one stands a chance going against her. 
and she's doing something right. Yeah. I mean, she she beat in in what was it the two was it the, Moab was it the 240. 240? Mm-hmm. The 250 where she beat the leading guy by 10 hours. What, 20 hours? 10? 10 hours, yeah. 10 hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's freaking yeah. absurd. The leading guy by 10 hours. That's fucking wild. 250 miles. And so she's got to be doing something right. And so like I don't know if they're hooking diodes up to her and stuff, but we need to figure out what the fuck she is doing right like she just runs no i'm serious i mean you've heard her podcast probably with joe rogan yeah. like she runs she eats nachos like she's not and that's the thing she her diet isn't anything special no. but there's something like so she just has these freak genes then? but if you're like, running that much plan. you don't need you actually you're in a ketogenic state constantly yeah but in a ketogenic state, you're burning fat, and she's not even consu- she's not even consuming fat well, to burn. Nacho. And she you has don't no think fat. nachos she's have like... fat in them? <laughs> of course, nachos have fat. But is she eating nachos Ice on cream? the trail? Like she's she is like that's uh, why. Like I remember I went to a a talk with the the authors of Uphill Athlete, um, mm-hmm. and they someone had asked about fat adaptation. If you're trying to shift into being fat adapted. And so mm-hmm. what that means is that you're essentially burning what storage you already have versus um, like carbohydrate. So you're no longer having to constantly fuel because you've trained your body to burn your storage. Right. And if you have, which is fat. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, th- and that's essentially ketogenic. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and for those that are listening, right, in most cases, a lot of us who aren't ketogenic, we're burning glucose, mm-hmm. which is essentially sugar, which is what we turn most things into, right? Carbs turn into glucose. Sugar turn is like, that's why uh, you see a lot of ultra ultra athletes. Um, I'm sure this is not just Ironmans, right? But I'm sure ultra athletes, like you, you start learning the, uh, what is it called? Shit. It's like the, the, the quickness of which you can shoot, consume uh, a certain a process, a certain type of sugar. Um, there's a scale. But like as a when I was trading Ironmans, I would start by eating you know the, these goos and right there's like carbs and sugar. and then by the end of my runs, like I was drinking maple syrup. Mm-hmm. Like you're just trying to intake sugar. And you're just trying to get this like instant, they, you know, on Ironman courses, they hand out flat Coke because it's just right the sugar. So there's different ways, and I forget the term now, but there's different ways our body breaks down different sugars. And um, yeah, to become fat adaptive is that. My buddy, my well, buddy Ganesh. Go yeah, what I was going to say is, so the point of moving into fat adapted is because, so the glucose you uh, burn through it faster, which means you have to replenish yep. it faster. And yep. so why, why a lot of these ultra runners will move towards fat adaptation is because it burns slower. So you actually have to fuel less. So if I'm not fat adapted, I'm constantly eating carbs. I'm constantly, and I'm going to bonk once I don't have that fuel. Cause my, my body isn't trained to burn what it already has. It doesn't burn mm-hmm. the storage. And so by training your body to burn what it already has, um, it again, allows you to move away from the constant eating 
in ultra running. And that's why there's a lot of people who will go, I've started to do with my 16 and eight, if I'm going to do anything less that like two hours or less, I'm not eating before. And the whole Mm. idea is that I have enough storage and I want to train my body to use the storage I already have. Um, versus if I eat before, I'm probably actually going to get what need to fuel again because it's strained itself to eat that glucose, those carbohydrates that turn over quicker. Um, and so ketogenic, if you're moving enough, like Killian Jornet isn't, he's ketogenic, but he could eat McDonald's and it doesn't matter because it's trained his body. His body just burns everything constantly. Um, but Mm. those of us who aren't working out 10 hours a day, we actually have to take into consideration like what we're eating, when we're eating in order to stay in the ketogenic state. Yep. And so like the keto diet is like, they're, they're having you be in a ketogenic state based on what you eat because you're not killing Jornet running 10 hours a day. Right. <laughs> every day. Uh, every day. Uh, my, my buddy Ganesh, he and I hiked uh, Long's Peak this this September mm-hmm. uh, or August, September, August of uh, this last year. And uh, he's keto. And he crushed it. He went, he finished, the, he didn't eat once the entire hike. Mm-hmm. And it's a 15 mile round trip with 55,000 feet of gain. 55, 50, no. 5,500 feet of gain, 55,000 feet of gain, Jesus. Go on Everest. Everest twice, <laughs> Everest twice. Uh, 5,500 feet of gain with uh, 15 miles, and he didn't, he didn't so much touch anything to eat. He had salt water, and that was it. And we got down from the mountain, and we're like, let's go get burgers. And it was like still another like three hours before we got food. He ended up being like 22 hours without food Mm -hmm. and he crushed the hike, like crush it. And I was dragging ass the whole time and I'm like eating all these like sour gummies. Like again, (laughs) just trying to intake my glucose constant, like peanut butter sandwiches. I, I was doing terrible and he was just like, and if you, if you know Ganesh, he's always so happy. And he's just like, just waiting on you. And like, he's just always so pleasant. And, uh, yeah, he's, <laughs> it, it, but I was like, God, this, there's something to this, you know, burning your fat stores and not, not eating, mm-hmm. but yeah. And that's what's, I think that really when people go to that in, well, if as an athlete, if you're wanting to explore that, the idea is like, if stopping to eat is time and digesting pulls energy away from other things. So if you're doing a long run or bike ride and you eat energy immediately is going to go towards breaking down that food as opposed to right. Rest and digest goes to there. Whereas when you are running or cycling or whatever, skiing, you know, big backcountry your blood, your energy is going to your limbs. Um, yep. and so that's where the performance aspect of it, it's not about, it's, it's not about a diet in terms of like, look at how I look. It's, it's performance maximization yep. of, yeah. I mean, energy can only go to certain things that's 
at, they don't go to the same things, like different things at the same time. Um, yep. and that's like, even just when I moved into this intermittent fasting type style was a little bit to start helping myself move into like fat adapted for like the summer and running so that I don't have to fuel as much, but also yep. if you, there if I'm eating throughout the day, again, that is still energy going to digesting versus being utilized for other things. Yeah. Whereas if I have just a window where this is when I eat and this is when energy goes to that, it frees up my energy for other things outside of that window. Hmm. And the mental, I mean, back to our mental, what's our mental resilience. Yeah. I wake up hungry for sure. Yep. I drink my coffee And then a couple hours later, I'm hungry again, yeah. but it went away for a couple hours. And then it like, I just keep doing my thing and it goes away again and yep. then it's time to eat. And I'm like, okay. So what is, so tell us about your training. What does your training look like right now on your, oh, like, I don't train. How do you, f- <laughs> <laughs> obviously I, tra- I train my mind a lot more than I train my body. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's way, I think there's way more benefit in like, if you train your, that's, and that's part of, you know, what I'm trying to say is like, there's mm-hmm. so much benefit in being, I, I think I heard this once, unfuckwithable. Like, mm-hmm. like if you're here, like you have control of your mind, your, your, your mental state, people can't fuck with you. Mm-hmm. Like no one, nothing like you are going to be, an awesome performer at whatever it is. And you know, that's what my, my dip in the snows were showing. Like, you know, like just don't let your, your mind is a liar. I say this in in my yoga class all the time. Like your mind, we have this, we have this ancient built in mechanism to protect us from saber tooth tigers. And the good news is saber tooth tigers don't exist anymore the bad news is, is that it thinks getting off the couch and going for a run is a saber toothed tiger. But that's funct- mm-hmm. That's when it's functioning right. Re- correctly. Like when we go for a run. Yes. Cause yeah, that's well, when it should so, be released. We should be going into yeah. fight or flight in order, like for runs, for activities, for, but you're saying but, the sitting on the couch yeah. part. Well, and I'm saying, no, I'm saying like in the, in the active moment, like, so you know, we have to be able to control like the, the fight or flight is good while we're running in the sense that that's what we want to feed the blood to. But it's also, we don't want, we want to be able to control. Like I always tell my students smile, Mm -hmm. like, you know, when you're like how you respond, right. Your fight or flight, it's just that it's, it's fight or flight, right. You, You have two options and this is how I've been breaking it down lately is like that's, and that's why we meditate is, to to turn to have another choice right so it's fight or flight and i don't want either of those options when i'm doing most things right we want the ability i I see what you're saying about running right but when uh i lost my train of thought so if you're like i tell my students and they're in chair pose and it sucks in chair pose and yoga right like get through it like it's, it's all mental at that point. And you need to tell, like, you need to breathe. You need to work through it. And, and I always tell them, like, can you, like, can you, will you smile? And how are you going to overcome that? Because it's going to suck. 
And that's where I'm saying the fight or flight doesn't help us, right? The fight or flight, it's like, ah, fight or run, right? And I don't know that those, I don't think those two options are the best options. I'm going to, I'll plug in a little neuroscience part of this. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I think what I'm, what I see the problem with what's happening in the world, well, (laughs) that sounds really big, but what's happening (laughs) with people in fight or flight again, um, Mm -hmm. why 80% of people who like 80% are stress related at doctors is, um, is not for the, the running part of it. The, what's happened is so when an animal, when an animal kicks in fight or flight, you either fight, run or die. You're right. And it ends. It's temporary. And what's happening to us because of our minds, like you said, our minds are controlling us. And what's happening is the fight or flight is never ending. So Mm -hmm. you want that fight or flight, the adrenaline in a fight, like you're going to want that you, if that adrenaline doesn't get released and you're going into a fight, you need it. You actually need that. The difference is you need training more. Well, you need to know how to manage it, but don't we need to manage our anger in real life? We need to know how to manage like those right. aren't bad things. Right. Like we want cortisol release. We want adrenaline to right. release. The problem is it's right. being constantly released and then we're not sleeping and our body's not recovering. And so we build up fight or flight all day. We don't yep. get enough time for it to restore itself. And then we compile onto the fight or flight from the day before. And so I see almost when you said the couch to the to the run was like the fight or flight is actually happening when someone's on the couch because of their self talk. And so they're releasing Mm. all these hormones that are detrimental to you. Mm. They're not burning it off. And the point is of the run of the fight is you burn off. So actually type two diabetes and obesity related to stress is because we go into fight or flight insulin gets shot out to our limbs and then it doesn't get burned off because we're not running, fighting or dying. Yeah. What happens? It's in our limbs and we release more insulin to replace that. But then this all returns back. So we have this over creation and building and not burning off of insulin in our body. Right. And so this, the mind, absolutely like the mind is playing this role, but it's that we're not using when it goes into fight or flight, we're actually not burning what's happening. It's coming back. It's sitting with us and we're constantly in this state mentally. But yeah. And, but the, the issue is, is that we, we use, like you said, okay, the perfect example is, is a fight, right? You want adrenaline, but then you also want to be able to make non fight or flight decisions, mm-hmm. right? Because, you have to be able to, right? Fight or flight isn't, those two options aren't good things, mm-hmm. right? Um, well, in, in a fight. Survival. So, well, well, so to a degree, right? So again, right, it's, there's nothing absolute. I think we started that this with the, mm-hmm. this podcast episode with that. There's nothing absolute. <coughs> so <coughs> when you're doing jujitsu, I use this as an example <coughs> the other day with people that, you don't want, right, you're doing jujitsu and you're, you're in a fight. Mm-hmm. But you don't want to just fight, 
you don't want to just fight in in this way that you you're just like, ah, I'm gonna fight you right you need to be able to do jujitsu instead and jujitsu isn't built into the sympathetic nervous system mm-hmm. right jujitsu is built into when we when we take control back when we say whoa hold on there fight or flight I need to so. I don't know if there's switching going on, right? Like, cause like you're still, you still have adrenaline, mm-hmm. but then you're like, Hey, Oh, I need to do this. I need to, you know, strong structure, weak structure. I need to take away bases. Like you, you have to start making very specific decisions, um, while you're being stressed and you can no longer rely on those two options of fight or flight, mm-hmm. right? Because it's not just like, it's not just fight, punch in and kick in, right? It's very, uh, you know, very specific decisions. Mm-hmm. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. And that's where I think managing it. Right. Like, so that's the idea of, right. Um, of those that releases. Right. And then your balance. I mean, everything's a level of balance, but I do right. think there's an aspect because you're being physical, you are starting to burn, probably burn some of that off. And so maybe your state of mind, I don't know, like, I don't know, but your state of mind, I think about if I have to give a talk, my heart might start racing, I get nervous Mm -hmm. and then I start it and everything calms down. And so I could imagine how in a fight, potentially your initial, like you work on not having that elevation as you go into it, Mm -hmm. but there might be times where you have an elevation but then it, yeah. you're able to bring it down. But if you didn't know what you were doing or you didn't know you what you were talking about, I don't think you would bring it down. Mm. I don't think you'd be able to control it, right? Like, I don't, right? Like, it's, you know, and I saw it. Right? So many people participated in my challenge of jumping in the snow. I was so surprised. Um, but, like, that's, that's, you see it in the snow, right? So when I got, when I first stepped in the snow, I was like, oh, that's cold. Mm-hmm. But I, and like, I felt the spikes, like I felt everything. I felt this, the sympathetic nervous system turn on. Cause it was like, like, I don't want to be here anymore. But now that's when I get to say, no, I'm making the decisions here. Like you don't get to make my decisions. And that's when I just, I, I stayed there. I breathed. I just hung out. I was like, wow. This... And it actually, like, I almost felt like Wim Hof a little bit. Cause it started to feel good. Like I was like, this is interesting. Like I got to stay there long enough to start feeling something different that was no longer cold. And I was like, mm-hmm. this is really strange. And, um, and I, and I don't know what that is. I'm sure there's, there's definitely explanation behind it. But then I saw other people doing it. They'd hit the snow, they jump up and they run back inside. And that's cool. I love that they did it. I'm not saying anything against that, but that's the fight or flight. Right. So it's, it's being able to train to balance again, training. You already said it, mm-hmm. right? Train your sleep, train. It's training to be able to deal with it and just being like, yeah, like it's cold and I'm going to stay here or you hit it. Nope. Didn't want to do this. Still don't want to do it. F- flight is the option. Getting the fuck out of here. So yeah, it's well, it's training them. So we will, no matter what, we'll have a physiological, our autumn, autonomic nervous system is built mm-hmm. to have an automatic reaction that jumps right jumps from our unconscious to our conscious yep and so then what happens is then 
after there's a, I think it's 60 to 90 seconds is a physiological reaction. Anything mm -hmm. after that is your choice. And so what you're doing is you're going to have a physiological, you jump in the snow thing. You're, you don't, you don't necessarily have a choice right there. Your yep. body, your, that's why our heart pumps. That's why all these things are happening in our mm -hmm. body that we aren't yep. all the sensations, actually controlling. All the, all the feels. Exactly. Yep. So what yep. happens yep. is no matter what, whether it's jumping in the snow or someone says something to you that, oh, like yeah. you yep. physiologically 60 to 90 seconds, things will happen. And then after mm -hmm. that is where the mind plays the role of choosing. So you realize I'm lying in snow. I'm not going to die. And yep. so you got the choice of being with the coldness, being with whatever it is. Right. Someone else does it and they're making the choice of like, I'm going to freaking die. And they get yep. up and they go. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yes. And so like yep. when 100%. you go into jujitsu, like you might have this, like, oh, that's how you start. I'm like in it. Like, day, and then all of a sudden you're one. like, I'm not going to die. Well, I might get my face. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe not, but I might feel a lot day, of pain. Day one, you feel like day one, you feel like you're going to die. <laughs> day one, you're absolutely right. like, I'm going to die. And, and that goes on. And, and when I say day one in jujitsu, I mean, day one is like, is probably like six months of jujitsu. <laughs> like the first six months of jujitsu, you're just like, no, like fighting everything and, <laughs> and and yeah exactly and when you when you start to realize that when you start to recognize that that isn't jujitsu <laughs> right like jujitsu is it's it's the gentle art and and it is amazing like i was thinking about this the other day from a class my 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 main instructor uh i'm gonna call him professor howie because he hates it uh but he uh, he was, he was on top of me with, with top pressure. And I think he's like 145 pounds. Mm -hmm. And the guy felt like he was 300 fucking pounds. And I'm like, what is like, what is going on? And, and right. Like he is doing something to make himself be able to feel like he weighs that much. And, and, and it's very little effort for him mm -hmm. to do it. And, and that's the point is like, is when you're doing jujitsu, it's like, yeah, you're, you're still, you know, they say jujitsu is a combination of, uh, weightlifting and, uh, cardio all in one. Mm. Um, because either you have something really heavy on you, you're trying to get it off or you're, you're going for five minutes, you know, and you're just trying to survive right fight or flight or you know once you start learning jujitsu you're trying to get to these positions but the other person knows jujitsu so they are stopping you to getting from those positions and it's just it's like a puzzle or or like a chess match mm -hmm. where like you make a move and then they make a move and you're like shit i no longer have the move that i wanted to do now because they did something else so you have to have all these other moves and pieces on the board to be able to you know, continue on with it. And so, <clears throat> yeah, like you start to realize, Oh, I don't need to spaz. I don't need to, I don't need to fight or flight. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's where I think you start to realize like, Hey shit, like I have other choices here. Mm -hmm. These are pretty good options. Once you start to know what they are. But it's the same thing with running. Like you could be like, I'm going to stop running. 
Not have your 10 miles in the mountains. <laughs> 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 you're not going searching mess, you're making your way out. No. <laughs> That's what this those are the <laughs> those are the worst runs when you're like when, when you're that far like and you're like on an out and back. But they're the best out. runs. Oh my gosh, they're awful. I don't know. I, I hate running. They're, I love the new book, uh, Semirad's oh, book. Yeah. I hate running. Oh my god. They're the best runs because like, they're mental. That. The mental capacity they are. because they are. that's what I realized. Like when I started trail running versus road running. Like road running, you literally could like call a friend or an Uber, but like out there. There's no way you're getting, you have to get yourself out. Whatever you got yourself into, you are responsible for getting yourself yep. out of. There's no Uber. Yep. There's no reception. There's no, like, <laughs> you're crawling out uh, if you need there's to. There's no phone a friend. Uh, but like you said what... with jujitsu, like you have to then, like if you are getting into that space of elevating the heart rate, right? Where you yep. lose that control, it it's a spiral. And so you have to do the, like you have to use the mind to calm yourself down, to get yourself into a space that you can function optimally to get yourself like into the next move or whatever is going to, you know, be able to be mentally there to make decisions quickly. Yeah. And you said something you, to get the mind in, to get into your mind, right. And to get into your mind, you have to get into your breath first. Mm -hmm. Right, because our breath stimulates the vagus nerve, mm-hmm. which is the, the housing of the central nervous system, the sympathetic, the parasympathetic, right? And, and when you start to breathe, that's when you get to start making more choices. Because mm-hmm. when, you're, when you're fight or flight, your breath is very shallow. And it's, it's in the chest, right? And, and it's, right, like it's, it's exactly described, fight or flight describes what's the physiological response to, Right. It's, it's a, hurry up, figure this out. I need to stay alive. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's, I'm t- going to take in enough air. I'm going to expel enough air and that's it. But when we start to fill up into the belly, we start using our diaphragm to massage the vagus nerve. We start playing with the vagus nerve and saying, Hey, what's really going on? And and then you get to say, Oh shit. No, I need to flight. Like, yeah, no, no, this is real. Like there's a saber toothed tiger coming and I need to get the hell out of mm-hmm. here. Um, but it's, it all comes down to the breath. And I think that is what is missed in a lot is the breathing. Mm. And when you're, when you, when you start endurance training, you learn to breathe. And when you start jujitsu, like that's the thing that is constantly being yelled at you by the higher belts is breathe, breathe. Like, and, and it's funny in jujitsu, I haven't had anyone be able to tie it to this yet. And my instructor Howie is actually, uh, we're actually working together now to tie the yoga part into jujitsu because it goes so well. And if you can learn to breathe when you're in these shitty situations, you actually get to make better decisions because you do, you tap into the mind. Mm -hmm. And a really cool thing too about breath. Um, this is good for people who have panic attacks. Uh, and we talked about heart rate variability earlier and the fact that there's not the same amount of space between each beat of the heart, but as you inhale and you can do this, you can close your eyes and you can put your hand, feel your pulse. Um, as you inhale, your heart beats faster. As you exhale, your heart beats slower. So when people have panic attacks, they're just constantly inhaling. They're inhale, they inhale, inhale. So their heart rate speeds up and then there's a physiological reaction and that's what then launches it into a panic attack. 
So if you feel yourself, your heart racing, if you start to concentrate on the slow exhales, you'll actually start to slow, like those slow exhales are slowing down your heart beat. You might have the same heart rate over a minute, but you're slowing down. Ultimately that will change in conjunction, Mm -hmm. but it's so important, like breath as a whole, like you said, the depth of a breath, but also Mm -hmm. that exhale is going to slow your heart beats down to change your physiology you must change your physiology (laughs) and it's it's redundant but it's true right like if you want to see a change in your physiology you must change it Mm -hmm. and and it starts with the breath Mm -hmm. and the breath like you know people get right that's how we how we got the name the hunter and the hippie people get all crazy and weird about like when you start talking about the breath and I don't get it because the breath is something that serves you. And, you know, you just, it, it's so weird how quick people get turned off of something when you start talking about breath and mm. like, oh, I just want to do the exercise or, and, you know, to our whole point of what we've been talking about is performance. But if you could breathe better and you could perform better, wouldn't you want to do that? Mm. Yeah. Okay. Well then I need you to breathe better yeah. because you're going to perform better. And, and it, it's proven, right? Like there's, I love that there's all sorts of books coming out now. Um, you know, breathe by, what is it? James pastor or something like that. Um, but yeah, there's, um, all sorts of great articles that, you know, and endurance athletes have seen it forever with the VO two max and increasing that. And, and that's just, that's tied to your breath. Yeah. And I think when so. you brought up Wim Hof, like, I, he's doing what the yogis do, right? He's doing a style of Mm -hmm. pranayama and then meditation, like being able to be in the cold and focus your mind as a form of meditation, but he's doing it in a way that's accessing people who wouldn't, who are turned off from the hippie, right? The yogi. And so I, at first I was like, you're not saying any, when I read his book, I'm like, this is like ancient knowledge, but he's able to access people who think that ancient knowledge is hocus pocus and so it's really cool to see because science is studying it more and there's more people putting their spin on it Mm -hmm. um it's it's just making like you said this thing that is so important accessible to more people and that's that's what it's about is is finding a way someone says it that you connect with yeah I, uh, I use this comparison. I, I tell people, right, we're so judgmental of, uh, of, you know, of other people and just everything that we do. We judge people on how they eat, um, right? Like, oh, you're not keto. You're, you're not a vegan. You're not a vegetarian. And, and then I would say, and you can live without food for two weeks in ideal conditions. And then we're so judgmental about what we drink. Oh, you're drinking soda. You should be drinking kombucha. You should be doing this. You should, right, water only. Um, don't drink Gatorade. It has sugar, right? Like just all, all sorts of shit. But you can, again, live without water for three days, ideal conditions. But air, no one judges you on how you breathe. No one looks at you and is like, Brie, you're breathing like shit today. <laughs> What are you doing? Right? Like, and I'm not saying, right, we should start judging people on more things, right? Like we need to stop judging people. 
But why are we not focused on breath when you can only live without your breath for five minutes? That's like super ideal conditions. (laughs) Like after that, you're talking, right? Like irreparable damages Mm -hmm. to your brain, right? Like Gandhi went, what, month, two months without food? Uh, you know, your your body will find a way when, it, when we're talking about training, but without air, you know, I just, uh, my friend sent me a video today and I loved it. Uh, gosh, I, I got to find it. But um, he said, think about your life and the worst thing going on in your life. And, 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 uh, and if, or no, he says, think about if you lost half of your money right now, half of all your money, you just lost it right now. And you want to kill yourself. And um, right, this is a touchy subject. I don't want to like talk about suicide without saying, right, if you're suicidal, please reach out. Suicide prevention line. Please don't kill yourself. You matter. You're awesome. With uh, The world's awesome with you in it. That's my little spiel. Um, but right, if you're suicidal because you lost half your money, right, you don't want life to go on. He was like, close your mouth, plug your nose, hold it for two minutes. Your body says something different, right? Your body tells you no fuck this, we're, we're going to live for a little bit longer, right? So we're so worried about all these other things when we need to come back to our breath, mm-hmm. right? Our breath is linked to so much. And I want to see just so much more science. I want to see so many more people getting into it. I want to be part of the movement of, right? Like I get the compliment all the time that my yoga classes aren't hippie. Mm-hmm. That's why people come, right? They're not this like foofy hippie classes and that's how I get, you know, people's dads to my classes and um, like we need to breathe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everything comes from the breath and without it, like you, without it, you can't lose half your money. Yeah. What's more important? I think it's pretty obvious. <laughs> yeah. And it's all within you. I yeah. mean, we talked and about that's like, all... the external, right? Like these are all things that you already have inside of you that already exist, yep. that you have access to. Everyone has access to. Yeah. And when you get into, and I'm not going to go too down, too far down this path, but when you start getting into, like people talk about essential oils and and things like that, the point of an essential oil is is you're breathing it in and you're creating responses in the body. Mm-hmm. So again, an essential, if you weren't breathing, an essential oil would be use, useless, right? The point is, right, they say, oh, rub peppermint on your on your, your muscles. Yeah, there's probably a little bit, right? That's why they put like peppermint in Bengay and, right, there's, but if you just rub some peppermint oil, yeah, it helps with that, but it also, it makes you start to breathe and you start to smell that and then it, 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 it attacks the receptors in the body to say, oh, peppermint and and it does something i don't know the exact science uh behind it but there's all sorts of triggers and i was flying once and i'm a terrible flyer and uh uh i was on the flight and it was super bumpy coming into denver what's new and uh this lady i don't know where she was on the plane she whipped out an essential oil and like i smelt it and instantly calmed down I wasn't able to find the lady. I stood up. I was like, who, who put that? I literally stood up. I was like, who's using that essential oil? Cause I need to know what it is. Cause it instantly just triggered me to like breathe and like calm down. And it was amazing. Um, so yeah, it's 
a little bit of my hippie side. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I mean, again, it's these traditions, these ancient, this ancient knowledge has been around for a really mm-hmm. long time without science explanation. And so, yes, mm-hmm. I'm not saying uh, I'm excited that science, science is just for those who need the science. Right. It, it's validating it. For me, experience with it is enough. If I'm seeing, and again, not instant results, but these practices, whether it's breath, whether it's a meditation, whether it's my sleep, what I eat, how I train, all of those have drastically impacted my quality of life and Mm -hmm. given me reasons to live. And I think that is what we're going to do a past lives episode at some point. I'm, I'm like, let's push out. <laughs> I think we're both dreading let's it. Let's wait. Dreading it sure. Because I was yeah. 10 years ago, uh, incredibly different. We all are. We're always changing every yeah. single day, but an incredibly different person than I am today. And I don't, reg- I'm finally at a point where I don't regret it. I don't have shame around mm-hmm. the people I was, but these practices is what put me into this place of contentment of peace of how I get to experience my life in a way that serves me and is like powerful and um, helps me get back on track when I'm off track they're just tools and so much of it is what we're is this training of the mind we've talked about like even the physical I feel like everything I do has a component of that is a training of the mind. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes you just need to act like a child and have fun <laughs> yes. and it's pure enjoyment, but right. But that's still part of it, right? That's feeding the mind mm-hmm. something else. And um, I'm yeah. just so grateful that there is more emphasis being put on how important our mind, not even mental health, mind health is breath health mm-hmm. is like mm-hmm. these things that feel so that aren't, don't feel tangible but are just as powerful as the tangible. Yeah. I want to see more emphasis on it. Mm-hmm. And I want to see more emphasis on the, the tools and the use of the tools because um, I'm not against any sort of right, like antidepressants or anything like that. They, they definitely help. But I want to see more people take advantage of what their bodies are capable of Mm -hmm. and what they're, what they're built for. Um, and again, I want to just clarify, I'm not right. Like I'm not shaming anyone who's on antidepressants and, um, right. That is not at all what I'm doing. I'm saying that there's also tools that go along with it. And, um, and I think that the more you again, train those things and your breath is one of them, um, I think exercise is a huge thing and I just want to see us move away from, you know, I talked about this on, on another episode of what we think healthcare is and what it should be and really start taking care of ourselves so we can provide better lives for ourselves and our friends and our family. And, you know, we deserve better, right? Like I, I exercise I move because I know I deserve better. And sitting on the couch and 
sitting in a chair and, you know, doing nothing and eating Oreos. I love Oreos. You'll see, I always mention Oreos. <laughs> uh, but the, like, yeah, that's great. But I, I know I deserve better and everyone deserves better. Yeah. And I think it's, again, like to just echo, like, if you need to be on medication for anything, um, mm-hmm. be on it and find your tools, find your adjunct therapies, because when you think about when they say a codependent relationship isn't healthy, you know, um, mm-hmm. being, are you talking about my past self? <laughs> I thought that was a different episode. <laughs> right? Like there's, there's, we have codependence on things outside of people. Um, yep. and, and I think there are chemical uh, things happening in people that need some support with medications. Um, mm-hmm. but also don't think that's the end of the road. Right. empower yourself to, or to say like, maybe I don't let me try. It allows you to know where you can go because if you're depressed right. and you think there is no way out, these medications might give you access. I mean, they're doing a lot of that with psilocybin too. It gives you access mm-hmm. to a place you didn't know existed. Yeah. Um, but then explore if you can find the tools that will help you access that without the drugs. Because what they're doing is they are managing the hormones and chemicals that already exist inside of it. And, Mm -hmm. and we actually, we, we do have the ability to do that. Um, and so, yeah, find something, maybe it's working together and you might eventually go off or maybe you never go off and then that's okay too. Uh, but but it's not just to continue to piggyback off of that. It's not, uh, it's not the, the only solution either. And like, it's not, it's not a right to be jovial about it. It's not the magic pill, Mm. right? While it will help, right. You know, a lot of people still, uh, deal with depression, right. Taking, taking these antidepressants and they still deal with these issues and, you know, there's not, and I deal with this in, in my sales career. Um, right. I've people ask me all the time, like, Oh, how do you do it? And everyone wants this, this magic pill, this magic bullet. And there isn't, I'm, I'm here to tell you, there's no secret. There's no secret pill. If anyone's trying to sell you a secret pill, right? Like it's a lie, right? The secret is, is you got to do the work. Mm-hmm. You gotta put in the effort. You have to, right? Like you have to get as many tools as you possibly can and know when to use them, right? Because, right? Like you can have all the tools in the world, but if you don't, if you're, if you're looking at a screw and you're beating it with a hammer, right? Yeah. You're going to be depressed after a while, right? Cause it's not going to work, right? So it's, it's making sure you have, a enough tools Mm. to take care of yourself, but it's knowing when to use the tools, knowing how to use the tools. Um, and, and having a support system, you know, I have have a very good friend, um, and, and he calls me on my shit constantly. 
and having someone like we all need someone like that and the issue is is that we we don't a lot of us don't have someone who does that to us and he'll he'll say he'll say he'll make passive aggressive statements to me and he'll he'll just be like you haven't been doing yoga have you <laughs> and and like in the moment i'm like er like oh angry and but uh, he's right <laughs> right cuz i'm different when i don't do yoga and i'm different when i don't use the tools and I have all these tools and sometimes I have no clue when to use them either. Right. So it's not like these uh, myself or Ubri or anyone out there, right. The Wim Hofs of the world. It's not like no one's failing and no one's like, you know, no one's imperfect. It's you just, we, we know when we're imperfect and we work through those and then we're like, Oh shit, I'm falling off. And we have accountability, uh, accountability partners or tactics in place to be like, hey, fix that. Yeah, and I, and the kind of the theme that we've been talking about is it's not an instant fix. Yeah. Um, and that's what I think a lot of our world has, or Western world has turned to instant gratifi- gratification, instant fix versus yep. what you're saying is putting in the work. But... I can't run a marathon. I'm going to say it again. Like I would not run a marathon tomorrow. Um, and so yes, again, like have your tools use. If one is a medication, use it, but maybe try other tools with it and know that it's, it's going to take time. It's training. It's having those people to bring you back on when you can't bring yourself back on track. Um, yeah, you can't try something for three days and say it doesn't work, mm-hmm. right? Like I think we've talked about that before, but just it's again it goes along the, with the consistency, and that goes. We mentioned it with David Goggins that it's the if you read his book, and you you've already been following him, you know everything about him. So when you're reading the book, it's like, oh yeah, I knew that already. Mm-hmm. But that's the point, mm-hmm. is is it's consistent, and if it wasn't consistent. you you'd start to question it yeah right is he is consistent in everything that he does and you have to be consistent and when he's not consistent he puts it out there right like he's great about that he he talks about it and then he goes out there and he does it even harder and i don't know if that's the right thing the whoop shot might disagree with that one (laughs) (laughs) but but uh you know he is he's just doing the work and i was thinking about consistency in my yoga classes i was like wow do people ever get bored because like you know yoga a lot of yoga is is very similar right a lot of my classes are usually very similar you know sometimes the theme the message changes um and then some of the postures change or how we get it there or how we move through it but otherwise it's very similar it's very consistent but that's important that's it's consistent for a reason mm-hmm. um you just gotta you gotta keep doing it. Yoga for one day, yoga for one week doesn't help. And then to start once it starts helping, it's not like you got there and you stop, right? So yeah. like they say, eleven hours of meditation, you'll start to see differences. It doesn't mean you do yeah. eleven hours and then the rest of your life you're good. It's like just because I run an ultra yeah. trained and prepared myself, and I was in the place to run this 50 miler and I ran a 50 miler doesn't mean that I'm going to be able to just keep running 50 milers 
and do nothing. Right. Right. So this is a recurring thing that we talk about is like, you have to be into the the journey, the process, and then you have to enjoy that process. You have to find a way that you are, you're, even when it's hard, right? Yeah. Even when it especially when it doesn't feel good, is finding yep. that presence, finding that enjoyment through the process versus like because what happens when you get there? Mm-hmm. What? Fish? Nothing. I don't know. <laughs> A gold nothing. star? No. Like maybe <laughs> if you're lucky, right? We can't hand those out anymore because of coronavirus. So. <laughs> You don't even get those. Yeah. I just saw the virtual Boston Marathon is now a thing. Mm. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah. I don't do roads. <laughs> Anti-road. <laughs> yeah. But you do. You're, you're so right, Brie. Like, you just, you gotta, you gotta enjoy them. You gotta enjoy the hard times just as much as you enjoy the easy times. Mm. Right? Like, it can't be... I don't want to say more than the easy times because you still have to enjoy the easy times or the times when you're winning. But you have to, if you don't enjoy the hard times, it's going to be really hard. Mm. It's going to be tough. <laughs> and that's what, you know, that that's my journey in my fitness is like, you know, this is getting into a little bit of the past selves, but when I, my, my physical journey really started with yoga and it just it just blossomed from there and it just kept going and getting bigger and and oh what what's next and oh i want to be able to do these these amazing things well how do you do these amazing things we have to train for them Mm -hmm. and oh shit i need to be stronger um you know i'm gonna start lifting weights and then you start lifting weights and then you're like oh shit i can't move (laughs) everything's so tight uh and and then you realize that oh shit i need to like strength is great but if you don't have mobility right your strength means nothing Um, and that's been a message lately that i've been trying to deliver is you need three things you need strength mobility and flexibility Mm. without any one of those life's miserable right like or if even if you only have one of those if you only have you know, the big thing being a yoga teacher, you'll probably hear this and you could probably comment on, on it. People want to be more flexible. And flexible is great. Until you're way too flexible, you're hyper flexible, you're injuring yourself because you don't have enough strength to support your joints. And, you know, you see a lot of these these superstar Instagram yogis that can put their legs over their heads, but they don't talk about how their knees are all fucked up because they have hyperextension in their knees and their elbows and they have no, you know, they have no strength in their muscles. And I I call it the wet noodle effect, right? Because without strength and only flexibility, you're a wet noodle. Mm -hmm. You just flop around. Yeah. Like you're, it's great. You can touch your toes, throw your leg over your head, but now what? Um, and, and you need all of it. Right. For all the things that everyone loves to do, you need strength, but you need to, you don't want your hips locking up on you. And then you need mobility, mm-hmm. right? You need to be functional because if you're strong, but you can't, your spine doesn't move. You could talk to that too, Brie. 
Well, I think you're like, it's that balance of exactly like you have only strength and muscle density and you're, you're going to get injured because you're, you're going to tear, you're going to, something's going to go wrong. Like it's gripping and, um, and then, but if you're too flexible, right, you're going to stretch out ligaments, which don't return. Nope. <laughs> so like I, yep. my best example is actually with trail running and your ankles and w- why I think yoga is like the best for trail runners is because mm-hmm. you're building strength and flexibility. So if I have really yep. tight ankles and I roll my ankle, I'm going to tear something. I'm going to sprain it. I'm going to tear something. Yes. Right. But if my ankles are too loose, I'm going to constantly be rolling them. And so where I want to be as a trail runner is I want to be able to roll my ankle and bounce back. And that's with your whole body, right? So if you're too tight and something challenges that tightness, you're going to have an injury. Now, if you're too loose, you're not, you're going to constantly get injured because you're not stabilizing. You're not keeping that support structure. So you're spot on with like, it's just having that balance between the two and that's freaking yep. life again. Did I say that already? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did you say that already? I think we said that already. Uh, balance. Wow. <laughs> uh, and uh, that leads me, I, I, I thought of hot yoga. Do you, do you like hot yoga? Uh, I, it's so funny. I was anti hot yoga and then I taught at a hot studio and this isn't uh-huh. like a hundred plus degrees hot. It's, you know, 90 degrees or something like that. And the Mm. reason I originally was anti it is because I'm like, you're creating a false warmth in the body. And so I think Mm -hmm. I definitely come from the theory of like, you need to heat your muscles from within, right? So you need to work them to heat them, to stretch them. And then I also am sensitive to heat. So I was like, had some classes where I'm like, I'm going to pass out. Uh, Um, But I also have found since I've taught in that environment. And again, it's not like a Bikram, 108 degrees. Um, And it's also like, what is your style of teaching in a heated room? Um, So I do think there are benefits to the heated because now that yoga is only an hour long, we have a very short period of time Mm -hmm. to warm the body up. And so if you're, it's negative 15 out and you're walking into a room, that's, 70 degrees Mm -hmm. maybe you do need a little bit of extra just like relax the muscles since we only have an hour to to get to what we're doing um but it hasn't changed with style like i still really focus on the beginning of a class is building heat inside the body second half of the class is stretching with that heat so yeah i uh so i i'm I'm against hot yoga Mm -hmm. And, and again, you, you make a very, uh, a very valid point, right? There's hot yoga, which, which I believe is like Bikram and, um, it's like certain set of movements and, um, but then there's warm, I call it warm yoga, right? It's, it's, it's slightly above the temperature you'd want it to be, (laughs) right? To me, it's not hot, but it's like, this is uncomfortable, (laughs) <laughs> you know, can someone turn the heat down, please? Can someone turn on a fan? Uh, and, and that I'm okay with. The The issue that I have is that exactly, you, you, you hit the nail on the head and you said it in two different sentences uh, and I'm going to put it together now, is you want to heat up your muscles from inside. 
What you don't want happening is external elements heating up your ligaments and tendons mm. and stretching those. Because what happens is, so your ligaments, and I always confuse these, ligaments and tendons do two things. Ligaments and or tendons attach muscle to muscle or muscle to mm -hmm. bone. Okay, I don't know the two difference of the two. I forget which one goes where, but one of them attaches muscle to muscle, one of them attaches muscle to bone. So all you need to know is that, and they're usually the ends of like the muscle, right? So like by the best example is like your knees, right? Like the tops of your knees, the, there's ligaments in there. The bottoms of your knees, there's ligaments all in there. You don't want to stretch those because they don't return, mm -hmm. right? Once they get long, they don't, they're not like your muscle. They don't return back. They stretch, they stretch, they stretch. And just like an old rubber, an old heated rubber band, guess what happens? It's, it starts to break, break, break. Right, and some people get those micro tears in their ACL. All right, shoulders. Uh, anterior ACL, anterior yeah. cruciate ligament. Yeah, but no, I'm saying the shoulders. Right. Most men yeah. over 50 have torn uh, rotator cuffs. Right, another set of right, like ligaments tendons, and tendons, yeah. and 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 what you're doing is is you're just you're slowly stretching, mm -hmm. and, and until they finally just start to tear apart or totally break totally you need a total reconstruction of them whatever that is but that's where the heated yoga or hot yoga specifically it becomes a, a big issue is that you go in for an hour like you said um, i hate hour-long yoga classes <laughs> i hate teaching it's them. impossible <laughs> it is impossible um but yeah it's like you gotta do the work you gotta do the work <laughs> Wow. <laughs> like quit, yeah, quit looking for these magic pills. Like, oh, I'm going to heat up the room so I can become more flexible. You don't necessarily want to be more flexible, right? Like, and, and that's the other thing is people want more flexibility, and I'm guilty of it, and I'll use me as an example. I went to my physical therapist. Uh, shout out Nicole Fox, physical therapy, Synapse Physical Therapy. She's a badass. Um, I believe, so if you're looking, right, if you're one of those people who don't, doesn't believe in physical therapy, um, you're, you're seeing the wrong physical therapist, um, go see a different one and do the fucking work, right? That's the other issue is that you're not doing the work, right? Physical therapy is a two-way street. They're going to tell you what to do and then you actually have to do it. But, uh, I believe there's like geriatric physical therapists mm -hmm. who like are there to like help geriatrics not die as quick. Mm -hmm. right and rework their new hip and then i think they're sports physical therapists and i feel like there should be a uh, you know people say rehab well i think physical therapy goes into prehab right it prevents you from getting injured if you're doing the right things which uh nicole is amazing at so i went to her because I've, I've always had tight hamstrings and she was, and I was, so I was like, I'm so sick of it. I'm sick of my tight hamstrings. Like, can you throw some dry needles in there? Like, let's loosen these bad boys up. Like, I just want some loose hamstrings. And she does my initial analysis. She has me doing all these, like, weird tests and stuff. And she's like, your hamstrings are fine. I'm like, huh? And, like, I'm already fulfilling this, oh, see, physical therapists, they don't know what they're talking about. Because I had hated physical therapists before. And she's like, yeah, she's like, your hamstrings are totally flexible. She's like, the issue is, is that your glutes aren't strong enough. So your hamstrings are doing twice the work. Mm. And I'm like, what? And she's like, yeah, she's like, you, you need more ass, right? Like <laughs> you need more ass, right? Like, and that's, that's all it comes down to. 
um, is you need to work your glutes. And if you're in any of my classes, like glutes are glutes and core are like my two biggest focus because those are the largest muscles in your body. And they're, when you have strong glutes, everything else functions better. Mm -hmm. Um, you become more flexible when you're stronger, you get more flexibility because your body says, uh, right. Like what did you say, Brie? Right. Strength is, is that tension, Mm -hmm. right? Is that pulling that tension? So when, when you're, my hamstrings were super strong and they were compensating for my ass muscles not being strong. So they had more work to do. So they just got stronger and stronger. And the issue is they got tighter and tighter. Mm-hmm. And well, I had to, I had to relieve them, right? Like I, I had to give someone else the work to do. And I started strengthening my glutes and I just kept it, you know, squats, deadlifts, um, split leg squats, all the things that have to do with your glutes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and yeah, guess what? My hamstring started to become more flexible. So in searching for flexibility, you need to be open to searching for other things like strength and mobility. Everything's connected. Everything's connected. <laughs> Uh, everything is connected literally and literally metaphorically (laughs) (laughs) Uh, it's so true it's so true what else you got anything else to share yeah so much to share but you know that file upload I think it would be cool to have an episode that we really dive more into the yoga, like some of these things we've talked about. I think that would be, um, but really make it as relatable as possible for everyone. So you can Mm -hmm. kind of start to understand. um, I mean, I think we touched a lot of concepts here, but um, Mm -hmm. maybe even just talking about the physical body and just our own learnings with our own injuries or experiences as well as, um, through the practices, through our, we even dive a little more into our like activities, um, yep. that we do and how that affects our body and why we piece yep. them together the way we do. Yeah. So. I think that's important mm-hmm. because yeah, there's a lot that I do that I need to do the opposite of mm-hmm. those things to recover in order to be able to do those things well. Like sleep. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> learning that now uh like shooting a bow like you don't realize what shooting a bow the and the asymmetry of shooting a bow yeah right because we talk a lot about asymmetry in yoga but shooting a bow you do it one way Mm -hmm. most of us right either you're right-handed or left-handed and yeah you do it one way and that right that way is the way that that works and now you need to counteract that Mm -hmm. All right, we got so. it then. Cool. All right, I love it. Let's wrap it journal up. Journal prompt. So grab your journals, your diaries. I heart Alan, right? That's what it says in your in your diary. Um, just, uh, yeah, write. Write about um, what your thoughts are on what we talked about. I have a lot to write about on what we talked about because we came into this episode 
not knowing what we wanted to talk about, mm-hmm. coming up with an idea of what we wanted to talk about, and then I think we talked about something totally different from what <laughs> I we was decided about that. we were going like... to talk about. Um, so, <laughs> like, and and that's cool. Like, I I love this conversation that we just had, and hopefully everyone enjoys it. But right about sometimes when you plan things, and I think Bree and I have talked about this. I don't know if we've said it on on the mic, but right focus on the direction versus versus the plan right because sometimes the plan it it doesn't it doesn't work out right it just doesn't work out for whatever reason and today we didn't even necessarily have a plan we we built a plan quickly and then that plan went out the window Mm. um and you got to be cool with that. Like you have to just see what comes with that. And as long as you're continuing in that direction. Um, so I share that to say, like, write about, think of, try to think about a time where you are like, so maybe you're the person that's so rigid and like, you have to have plans for everything. We all know that person. If we're not that person, we know who that person is. We have that person as a friend or a family member. Right, and think about how when things go wrong for that person, how they respond. Right, and the tools that they don't have, because we again we all know that person. We know how they respond. I don't even have to say it. Right, we know how that person responds when things don't go exactly how they planned it. Quote planned it. Um. So maybe you're that person. So write about that and how that drives you crazy. And how you couldn't do a, a thing without planning it. Um, talk about. Or if you're the other your... person, right? We're talking right. about balance, right? Strength and flexibility. Yes, yeah. So if you're the rigid person and things get thrown off, who? What happens? And then what about the mm-hmm. wishy-washy, the non-committal, the one that won't make a plan yeah. and it's just like flies to the seat of their pants? What happens right. when someone tries to force you into like a rigid, controlled yeah. environment? Yeah, we know that person too. Absolutely. And and we know how they respond to that. And are you that person? So, right, how can you find that balance? Mm -hmm. Um, And what tools can you look for to find more balance? How can you find more strength? How can you find more flexibility? Mm, Love that. Um, Yeah, I do love that. That's a great place to end. So, oh, I have one little plug, actually. Go ahead, do it. I'm doing a a digital Zoom. stress release series hour long every wednesday starting the first wednesday of april shoot i don't know that date um i think it's april 1st april 7th will be the oh, first the, oh, wednesday okay. um it'll be 5 30 to 6 30 mountain time it's just an hour long and it'll be using a the tools of yoga nidra if you're like still i say yoga and it gives you a certain reaction it uses the tools of a relaxation technique (laughs) Um, and each week we'll be going over each of the tools and how it can help you with letting go of stress releasing stress so um we'll put that in show notes it'll be on you can find it wherever but just wanted to plug that in there so if you're that person that that heard yoga and you were super rigid that you don't do yoga reach out to brie right our our contact info is is in the show notes mm-hmm. right you guys know how to get a hold of us talk to us right we're human we're, we're we want to talk to you and we want to have conversations like so if you're freaking out 
about taking a yoga class or doing her her stress like who doesn't want to relieve their stress right so if you're freaking out and you just have questions right we want to hear it just maybe you're you just have all these negative thoughts about it and right we are ready to have conversations about those things and so it's alan is already he's a non-yogi's yogi so what's stopping you get into his class <laughs> right right you can do it from anywhere so, exactly so you're you're doing this four weeks five weeks right i'm assuming five yeah, weeks five, yeah, five and, weeks april 7th and what's the cost it is 50 bucks 50 that's bucks. 10 bucks an hour man that's incredible. And if you want to drop into one of them, I'm, I don't, I'm not stoked on that because it is going to be building off. And part of the potency is by practicing it weekly. But if you do want to drop into one, it'll be 15 bucks to drop into one. So let me get closer to my mic. Part of the potency is consistency. Ooh. Do the work. Sign up. You pay $50 for a freaking starbucks every month invest in yourself go do the freaking work sweet none of this drop-in yeah. shit well, hey if it gets we've died yeah. or whatever it takes to get yep. whatever it dropping takes, into one will change your life <laughs> right right all right thank all right. you alan talking to you, that's wonderful see ya see ya if you want to follow us and our adventures, you can find both of us on Instagram. I'm at Bree Allison. That's B-R-E-A-L-L-I-S-O-N. And I am at the life of Alan Titone, underscores between each word. To check out our offerings, yoga, one-on-one trainings, workshops, retreats, and a recorded library, you can find the info on our website, thehunterandthehippie.com. If you have questions for the podcast, about the podcast, feedback, suggestions, or just want to say hi or find ways to work with us, our email is thehunterandthehippiepodcast at gmail.com. And don't worry, all of this will be in our show notes. Thanks for tuning in. Hopefully you weren't tuned out. To the Hunter and the Hippie Podcast.